Hey friends, it's Kike here. Hope you're having a great start to the week. It's Tuesday and I had a bit of an unexpected break in my schedule. So I wanted to go ahead and read the latest blog that I wrote that I published this morning entitled Outside the Circle in Defense of Opacity and Inactivity. And in this blog, I tried to put the 2017 dystopian science fiction thriller movie, The Circle, based on Dave Edgar's book of the same name, in conversation with some of the writings of Byung Chohan, including his latest book translated into English, Vita Contemplativa. Uh, this blog is a bit of a long one. That's what she said. Sorry, I'm pretty much a 12-year-old boy at heart. I had to do that. It is a long one. There's a lot in here. I had a really good time writing it. I felt like I learned a lot and put some things into perspective that's been helpful for me. I've been having some really good conversations with friends off mic about some of these realities. And so I just hope that you enjoy it and that you're both inspired and challenged by it. I will say if you can go and actually read the blog only because I include several YouTube clips of the movie that that really kind of adds to what I'm trying to argue. And so it's probably a great idea to not just listen to this episode, but to go back and read the blog. But it's not necessary, obviously. And, and let me just say before I begin, there are definitely spoilers. So if you haven't watched the movie, uh, if you haven't read the book, the, reading the book's not necessary, but if you haven't watched the movie... I offer a pretty in-depth plot summary, so there's going to be tons of spoilers, so watch out for that. Yeah, as always, um, I hope that you enjoy this, and, and here we go. Outside the Circle in Defense of Opacity and Inactivity. Plot Summary, Spoiler Alert. The Circle 2017 is a dystopian science fiction thriller based on Dave Eggers' 2013 book of the same name. May, played by Emma Watson, finds herself in a lifeless, dead-end position as a call center intern. One day, May receives an opportunity of a lifetime when her college friend Annie, played by Karen Gilligan, secures an interview for a support position at The Circle, a massive technology and social media corporation. Annie is one of the most influential people at the circle, a member of the top 40. May kills the interview and takes the job. With this new opportunity, May is hoping to better support her family, especially her father, played by Bill Paxton, who suffers from multiple sclerosis. Everyone's excited about May's opportunity except her longtime friend Mercer, played by Elar Coltrane, who's a Luddite with serious reservations about the circle. May has a difficult time adjusting to the culture of the circle at first, but quickly gets the hang of things. At a company meeting, reminiscent of Apple's product reveals under Steve Jobs, CEO Eamon Bailey, played by Tom Hanks, introduces everyone to sea change. Sea change is a product where countless tiny cameras can be placed anywhere to give people real-time, high-quality video of what's happening. 
As May acclimates to the circle, she comes in contact with Ty Lafitte, played by John Boyega, the creator of True You, the circle's social media platform. At first, she doesn't recognize who he is, although she picks up on his suspicion of the more enthusiastic employees at the circle. At another company gathering, Chief Operating Officer Tom Stanton, played by Patton Oswalt, introduces Congresswoman Olivia Santos, who has agreed to share her daily political activity to the public through the use of sea change. Once May discovers Ty's true significance at the circle, he leads her to a secret chamber containing the massive cloud server where all the information collected by sea change will be stored. Ty confesses to May that true you has evolved out of his control and the way it's being utilized is outside the bounds of what he originally intended. One day, May's mother shows her a picture of a chandelier that Mercer created from deer antlers. When May shares it on her circle profile, a shitstorm of negative comments ensue. People are outraged over Mercer's apparent killing of the deer. Mercer confronts May at her workplace and demands that she leave him alone. Distressed, May decides to kayak in order to clear her mind. It's late in the evening and the waves are choppy. When her kayak capsizes, the Coast Guard comes to her rescue. They were alerted to the emergency through sea change cameras. At the next company meeting, Eman introduces May to the gathering and praises sea change and its role in May's rescue. This leads to May's decision to go completely transparent which entails wearing a tiny sea change camera and exposing her life to the world 24-7. While May increases in popularity and influence, she also endangers her relationship with her parents. In one awkward scene, May calls her parents as they're attempting to have sexual intercourse, which is subsequently broadcast to the whole world. Her parents begin to distance themselves from her at this point. At a board meeting, Eman announces that all 50 states have agreed to allow voting through the Circle app. May wants to take it to the next level and require every voting citizen to have a Circle account in order to vote. Eman and Tom agree with May, although her friend Annie is disturbed by the suggestion. At the following company gathering, Annie introduces Soul Search, a program that enables you to find anyone on the planet in less than 20 minutes. After demonstrating the effectiveness of the program by finding a fugitive felon, the crowd pleads with May to find her estranged friend, Mercer. May tries to resist the crowd's demand, but eventually succumbs to their pressure. Once Mercer is found in an isolated cabin, he tries to flee the impassioned circle users who are trying to disrupt his privacy and capture his every move. One person places a small camera on his truck window and the whole world watches as Mercer tries to flee his followers. In a moment of distress, trying to escape the surveillance of a drone, Mercer swerves uncontrollably off a bridge to his death. May watches in overwhelming regret and dismay. After the horrific accident, May takes a break from her job. Although her parents ask her not to go back, she eventually returns to the circle. May reconnects with Ty, and he reveals to her that he has uncovered something very important. At the next company meeting, May shares that connection has helped her recover from the loss of her friend. 
Then she asked both Tom and Eamon to come on stage and suggests that they both go fully transparent. May reveals that Ty has discovered all their secret email messages and exposed them to the world. No one should be exempt from transparency, May reasons. At this stage, Eamon and Tom know that they are fucked. Everything goes blank in an attempt to silence May, but the crowd lights up the stage with their personal phones. May reiterates the importance of transparency. The movie ends with May kayaking, not bothered by the drones that seem to be tracking her. Byung Chohan. My goal is to analyze the film through the lens of some of the writings of Byung Chohan. I was first introduced to Han by my online friend Peter Rollins. At his recommendation, I started with Han's book, The Burnout Society. I was immediately hooked and purchased almost every book he's written that's been translated into English. I've read 10 of his books so far and hope to read all of them in the year or so. While I'm no Byung Chohan expert, I definitely would say I'm a student of his work and am constantly challenged by his perspective. Han was born in Seoul, Korea in the late 1950s. He studied metallurgy in Korea before moving to Germany to study philosophy, theology, and German literature. In 1994, he completed his doctoral degree at Freiburg on Heidegger's understanding of mood. Most recently, Han served as professor at the Berlin University of the Arts. Han is interested in many different things, from Zen Buddhism to photography and gardening to the psychological effects of late-stage capitalism. In terms of a broad overview most relevant to this piece, I'll say that Han focuses on how our neoliberal performance society leads to psychological burnout. He writes extensively about the loss of a sense of otherness and narration that stems from our obsession with transparency and the accumulation of data. Han believes that transparency has transformed into a digital panopticon that leads to our self-exploitation and loss of humanity. The demands of the transparency society, which the circle embodies in a hauntingly accurate way, enforce a totalitarian system of exposure that erodes the values that make us human. For example, opacity and inactivity. Secrets are lies, the allure of transparency. And, and here's a point in the blog where you would watch a video on YouTube. So be sure to check that out. In this clip from The Circle, May sits down and has a conversation with Eamon in front of the entire company. After describing her kayaking incident, Eamon asks her to share what profound insight she's come to. May responds, secrets are lies. She admits that when she's watched, she's better behaved and feels her safety can be secured. Eamon reveals that his son, Gunner, was born with cerebral palsy. Bound to a wheelchair, he's limited in what he can see or experience. Eamon explains that Gunner can only truly experience the world through the digital eyes of others. Eamon considers it a moral crime to deprive Gunner and others like him of the experiences that able-bodied people like May can have. May agrees with Eamon. She says, when you deprive others of experiences like the ones I had, you're essentially stealing from them. Knowledge is a basic human right. Access to all possible human experience is a basic human right. 
At this point, May reveals to the crowd that she is going fully transparent by wearing a modified sea change camera at all times, except when she's in the bathroom. This will enable the world to see everything she experiences. She has inaugurated the Transparency Society. At the beginning, May's experiment opens the door to greater connection, influence, and power in the company. But it quickly starts to take a turn for the worse. In the scene below, and again, this is a, another YouTube clip that you would watch, May has to escape to the bathroom to have a vulnerable conversation with her friend Annie. She only has three minutes before the camera switches back on. May is worried about Annie's physical health. Annie admits that she is fried from the incessant activity and demands of the circle. And we'll come back to this pervasive burnout and exhaustion in a moment. Annie is disturbed by May's digital transformation through her transparency experiment. She asks May about her parents. May admits that she has not spoken to her parents in some time. Her parents distanced themselves from May after the transparency camera captured them in an awkward sex act for all the world to see. This is the great irony of connection in the transparency society. The more May connects with others through the screen, the more disconnected she feels from her actual ties to friends and family. Han describes our collective experience when he states the more likes we pursue on Facebook, the less invested we are in strengthening the bonds of our real friendships. In the transparency society, Han writes, only emptiness is entirely transparent. To avert this emptiness, a mass information is brought into circulation. The mass of information and imagery offers fullness in which emptiness is still noticeable. More information and communication alone do not illuminate the world. The mere representation of information does not result in a sense of connection or truth. May's broadcasted monologues and our words on social media are an accumulation of meaningless chatter. The allure of transparency is that it will lead us into greater connection and to the truth of the matter. What Han shows us is that transparency only reveals an emptiness at the center of our lives. It doesn't matter how much May shows her viewers. Posting more on X adds nothing to our life. As Han reminds us, more information and communication alone do not illumine the world. What is needed to arrive at a sense of human connection and truth is a sense that our lives are connected to a larger narrative. This narrative framework provides a sense of transcendence, a horizon that sets the boundaries from which we can derive a sense of meaning. According to Han, transparency has no transcendence. The society of transparency is see-through without light. It is not illuminated by light that streams from a transcendent source. This narrative transcendence also provides a form of negativity that protects us from a ubiquitous positivity that leads to the hell of the same. Another irony of the circle is the digital panopticon of sea change is, to, is supposed to result in the revealing of truth and to hold politicians accountable. The problem is that full transparency leads to what Han calls a depoliticized space. Han writes, Transparency is inherently positive. It does not harbor negativity that might radically question the political economic system as it stands. It is blind to what lies outside the system. It conforms and optimizes only what already exists. For this reason, the society of positivity goes hand in hand with the post-political. 
in defense of opacity. I live from what others don't know about me. Peter Hanke. Han ends the preface to the Transparency Society with these words. Transparency is an ideology. Like all ideology, it has a positive core that has been mystified and made absolute. The danger of transparency lies in such idealization, ideologization. If totalized, it yields terror. The positive core of transparency is that truth and intimacy often require open communication and access to another. Transparency as an ideology perverts this positive core by removing opacity and otherness from the equation. Without these, it is impossible to be in genuine relation with others. Authentic connection requires otherness. This may be one of Han's most important messages. In his latest book, Vita Contemplativa, he states, a deeper, a deep relationship requires an other who can make themselves unavailable. If everything can be seen, then everything can be seen through. Opacity maintains a distance and a space between people and objects that makes relatedness possible. Opacity is a disruption of the narcissistic ego that wants to consume and understand everything in its purview. Opacity is a limit required to maintain the mystery and vitality necessary for truthful existence. I'm fried, the psychological cost of achievement. And here again, I have actually the same YouTube clip from above where May and Annie have a vulnerable conversation in the bathroom where the cameras can't be turned on and they only have three minutes to do this. So in the clip above, Annie confesses that her relentless activity at the circle has led to emotional exhaustion. This is the central premise of Han's The Burnout Society. Han argues that contemporary society is marked by an imperative to achieve. This has resulted in collective burnout, anxiety, and depression. Han begins his analysis by reflecting on the transition from the disciplinary society articulated by someone like Foucault to what he calls the achievement society. If the disciplinary society was characterized by negativity, issuing the modal verb should, the achievement society is marked by positivity with the new demand being you can The Achievement Society is the world of endless possibility. It's also the world of tremendous psychic change. Two aspects of this psychic change are what Han calls hyperattention and self-exploitation. The transition to the hyperattention, the transition to the digital achievement society has transformed how we attend to our lives. Han calls our modern mental state hyperattention. Hyperattention, according to Han, is marked by a rash change of focus between different tasks, sources of information, and processes. In this mode of attention, our perception is scattered and fragmented. Han argues that our hyperattention resembles the wild animal in nature. The animal cannot immerse itself contemplatively in what it is facing because it must also process background events. Like the gazelle constantly tracking for threats, mates, rivals, and predators, our attention is caught in a frenetic ping pong across a frenzy of multitasking. Here, I include a clip in the blog where May is confronted by two co-workers and 
I'll reflect on what ensues. In this scene, May interacts with Gina and Matt about her lack of social participation in the circle. Although her employers are clear that the circle is not a clock-in, clock-out type of place, the clear message is that May is expected to participate in all the social events and to share constant updates about her life on the social media platform. May is assured that being a staff member at the circle is not simply about work, but community. Matt states that May is a full, knowable person of unlimited potential. This is precisely what Han fears about our achievement society. There's always another thing to share about ourselves and another site to fix our attention on. For Han, this perpetual cycle of information sharing and attentional fixation is bringing human society deeper and deeper into the wilderness. Rather than promoting human flourishing, our achievement society is yielding more and more to the simple concern for survival. Self-exploitation. One of the most intriguing aspects of Han's philosophy is his emphasis on the transition from allo-exploitation or others exploiting you in the disciplinary society to auto-exploitation, you exploiting yourself in the achievement society. Han believes that we have transitioned from human subjects to human projects. In our achievement society, we have become entrepreneurs of ourselves and exploit ourselves in the name of productivity and achievement. In a society where the sole imperative is to achieve, no external constraints are needed. Coercion is no longer required. With the goals of optimal performance and achievement internalized, we exploit ourselves. You would imagine that moving away from external coercion would result in greater freedom, but the opposite is true. Han explains, the disappearance of domination does not entail freedom. Instead, it makes freedom and constraint coincide. Thus, the achievement subject gives itself over to compulsive freedom, that is, to the free constraint of maximizing achievement. Excess work and performance escalate into auto-exploitation. We see this with May's interaction with Matt and Gina. Although the external constraint is absent, they assure her that the circle is not a clock-in, clock-out type of place. There's no should. The culture of relentless sharing and achievement leads to an exploitation of self that's governed by the person's internal appropriation of the imperative rather than an external demand. As Han writes in Psychopolitics, Neoliberalism and the New Technologies of Power, the freedom of can generates even more coercion than the disciplinary should, which issues commandments and prohibitions. Should has a limit. In contrast, can has none. Thus, the compulsion entailed by can is unlimited. And so we find ourselves in a paradoxical situation. Technically, freedom means the opposite of coercion and compulsion. Being free means being free from constraint. But now freedom itself, which is supposed to be the opposite of constraint, is producing coercion. Psychic maladies such as depression and burnout express a profound crisis of freedom. They represent pathological signs that freedom is now switching over into manifold forms of compulsion. In defense of inactivity, the circle begins and ends with May on her kayak. Without offering an explanation, These scenes express May's desire to be connected to herself and the larger natural world. 
Kayaking is a ritual activity that has no calculable outcome in mind. She's going out for the sake of the experience, not to perform or achieve anything. While Byung Chohan is a philosopher and not a self-help guru or therapist, I do think it's possible to extrapolate some ways to resist our collective burnout from his writings. One of Han's convictions is that eudaimonia or happiness or the good life does not result from hyperactivity, but from boredom, contemplative lingering, and what he calls inactivity. According to Han, inactivity constitutes the human. He writes, when life follows the rule of stimulus response, need satisfaction, and goal action, it atrophies into pure survival, naked biological life. Life receives its radiance only from inactivity. If we lose the ability to be inactive, we begin to resemble machines that simply function. True life begins when concern for survival, for the exigencies of mere life, ends. The ultimate purpose of all human endeavor is inactivity. Without time and space for boredom and deep contemplation, we reduce human existence to bare animal life. We barely scratch the surface of what makes life most meaningful. Time where we sit with ourselves without the impulse to accomplish anything is what's needed for human fulfillment. Han states, this to no end, this freedom from purpose and usefulness is the essential core of inactivity. It is the basic formula for happiness. We need more contemplation and less calculation. Han would encourage us to enjoy greater ceremonious inactivity or leisurely pursuits instead of optimizing our interests. In an era of endless projects, influencers, and side hustles, Han would ask us to cultivate our humanity and pursue the good life through stillness, silence, and dwelling in the moment. Man, I am so grateful that you've taken the time to listen to this. If I can be vulnerable for just a second, and as a quick aside, I will say that in working on this piece, really digging back deep into Byung Cho Han's writings and, and watching the circle a few times. It's really convicted me about my own relationship to the digital, to my screens, to social media. So if you follow me at all, you've probably noticed that I've spent quite a bit less time posting on social media. I've, I've deleted those apps from my phone and I'm just kind of accessing it here and there through kind of a web browser on my computer because I'm really convicted that I've, I've got to change my relationship to the digital if I wanna recover my humanity. And so I'm, I'm thinking of various different ways to practice what Byung Chohan calls inactivity. And I hope that you'll join me in that. If you ever do need to get a hold of me, just uh, go to my website and there you'll find my mobile phone, you could text me or uh, my email, and I'll get back to you whenever I can. Um, I'm trying to do a better job of actually being less transparent and embracing more of my own opacity. And so if it takes me a while longer to get back to you or to connect with you, it's nothing personal. I'm just trying to salvage my own soul. So with that, I'll end and I'll just encourage you to share this with anyone who might benefit from it, who may have an unhealthy relationship to the digital like I feel like I have. 
And uh, if you get the time, if you if you feel led to do this, it would mean the world to me if you would leave me a positive rating and review on Apple Podcast or Spotify. Thank you so much for listening. And as always, continue the conversation. 